From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Burnout in the healthcare provider community has been a long time issue. And of course, the events of the past two years have only exacerbated the problem. So what steps can we as nurse practitioners take to understand and combat burnout? How can we lead in our organizations to help our colleagues? Our guest today is certified as a family psychiatric mental health and emergency nurse practitioner with experience as an educator, clinician leader, and healthcare executive. He is on the forefront of implementing innovative models that blend technology and mental health treatment, such as digital phenotyping, digital therapeutics, neurofeedback, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Please help me welcome Dr. Ron DeRico. Welcome to NP Pulse, Dr. Ron DeRico. We are absolutely delighted to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a great pleasure and honor to be here with you today. Well, um, you and I just really met uh, not too long ago for the first time, Ron, and I was just absolutely fascinated when you told me a little bit more about what you did. I mean, we're both nurse practitioners, but what you do is just absolutely fascinating to me. I'm an acute care nurse practitioner and don't really have time or, or, or the opportunity, so to speak, to be able to learn as much about what you do um, on a daily basis. So I would love if you could just share with our audience a little bit more about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been a nurse since 2007, and I've been a nurse practitioner for since 2012. I am a mm -hmm. triple boarded nurse practitioner in family, emergency, and psychiatric mental health. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So currently I work as an assistant professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas School of Nursing. I'm the program director and developer of our brand new psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner program, which we are currently launching right now. And yeah, and in terms of my history, I started off as a neonatal intensive care nurse. That was my staff nurse position. And um, after doing that for a few years, I became a family nurse practitioner, um, worked my way through college health, urgent care, primary care, ended up in the emergency department for several years. And along the way, I got my certification as a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner because I had a lot of interest in that field and spent a couple of years as a healthcare executive with a nationwide provider staffing company. And then I made my way into academia and that's where I've been for the last few years. Wow, you've just been a, a little bit in all areas. Yes. A little bit on the, in the outpatient, the inpatient and everything in between. And so now today, do you still practice as a, as a psych mental health nurse practitioner? I do. So my clinical practice currently, I'm working in uh, telepsychiatry. So I do my work via telehealth. 
Um, I'm working with a local clinic here in Las Vegas, and I'm also working with a new startup company, Aware Healthcare, that is focusing on telepsychiatry and utilizing a concept that we call digital phenotyping, which is okay. utilizing digital data uh, from ubiquitous de devices such as a smartphone to help inform our mental health treatment. Wow. Okay. Well, we want to hear a lot more about that. So you're also faculty and you have students and um, I'm sure you're working with students every day. And um, this, the topic of this particular podcast is really about mental health and in particular mental health of nurse practitioners and certainly the concept and what many people talk about, what we see in the headlines, burnout. And as you and I were talking the other day, it sounds like your whole approach to burnout is, is, is quite unique. And then also becoming more and more evident that it's very effective. And so um, just from your faculty hat, tell me a little bit about just in general, um, you know, what, what is burnout and, and how, is that, how does that play into mental health? And then I wanted to ask you a little bit more just about your students and how they're doing, um, because these are definitely crazy times. So in your perspective, what is burnout? Well, yeah, I, it's a great question. And burnout is one of those concepts where I could pull up and read you off a dictionary definition of what it is. But what it really comes down to are two primary concepts, the concepts of exhaustion and the concept of work or our occupation. So mm -hmm. burnout is a deep, fundamental sense of exhaustion related to our work that is due to stress. So it's when the stress of your work gets so bad that you're not stressed out, you're not tired of your job, you are fundamentally and deeply exhausted to the point where you cannot perform mentally uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all those uh, areas shut down. And sadly enough, we already know as nurses and nurse practitioners, we're very prone to just working way past what would normally be a quitting line because we just keep going and right. going. The current circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're in the midst of right now has only exacerbated that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always been tough for nurses fundamentally. So it's just that deep, deep exhaustion when you just cannot go no more. And when you can't go any further, you break down. That's the way the human body and the human mind work. And that's what we're seeing with burnout. It's that breakdown due to exhaustion and just through our work, that constant stress. Interesting. Just when you talk about nurses and nurse practitioners, I mean, it's almost, we're not superhuman. So we're not immune to burnout. And what you've just described is what many nurse practitioners are experiencing right now. And actually, um, according to the National Academy of Medicine, healthcare clinicians in general were experiencing uh, significant burnout before we even went into the pandemic. And so I'm um, now it's just magnified. And like I said, we're not superhuman. We're, so we're seeing more and more nurse practitioners really experience what you just described so well. And then you said you're also faculty. So does this impact students as well? I mean, they're learning, they're, they must be working as nurses too, or they're going back for their second master's or, and so, and, and also going to a very difficult program to learn and, and grow in their knowledge and education. Are they impacted by burnout? Do you see that? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I love my students. That's when I moved from executive leadership into academia. It's just because I have a love for teaching and I love bringing up our next generation of healthcare professionals. So it's so deeply satisfying. Um, at this point, I've been NP faculty at a few different programs, and my students from all of those have just been excellent. But as you mentioned, in an NP program, first of all, the great majority of our students are still working as staff nurses. Mm -hmm. um, their staff nurse job does not stop just because they're in an NP program. So there's that level of stress. There's the stress, of course, of being in a, in a rigorous um, educational program. So they have to face that. There's the rigor of being in the clinical setting and learning this new role, which in many ways is such a great divergence from the uh, staff nurse role, that that's a, an area of stress. Plus, of course, they have families, they have loved ones, all these things compound together that students have dealt with a great deal of stress. There are students that have faced burned out. We've taken great pains to make sure that they have available counseling and all the psychological support systems that can mm -hmm. be provided and that we look out for them and we stay in touch with them. But yes, they've they felt this pandemic just as all of us have and in some ways even more because they're juggling all those roles. Right. I, I totally agree. I, I don't think students are immune to this at all. I think it's impacting all of us. It's impacting students and it's impacting faculty, but it's impacting nurses and nurse practitioners so much more than, than ever before. What are some of the things that you're seeing in terms of, I know it's impacting a lot of different people, but specific to nurse practitioners, which are our audience that, that are listening today, um, what are you seeing out there right now? We're 21 plus months into the pandemic. What are you seeing in general? Well, we're seeing, you know, related to the day job aspect of students that are having to work many extra overtime shifts to care for these incredibly ill patients uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic. So in the normal course of a rigorous educational program, you, you know, you're pretty stringent about making allowances. But when we're dealing, this is our profession and we know what they're facing. So when a student says, you know, I'm on my sixth or seventh overtime stretch in a mm -hmm. row, I know I have an exam coming up. You know, is there is there any accommodation that can be made for me or, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to clinical practice this week because I worked five shifts in a row in the hospital and I just need a day off. Um, and of course, we're making we're, we're, we're accommodating that we're accommodating the human always comes first. We're nurses. Mm -hmm. It's nursing first. Our education and our standards aren't changing one bit, but we got to give people a little extra breathing room. So you're seeing that stress. You're seeing the stress of lost clinical sites um, because it's not so bad now. But earlier in the pandemic, a lot of our, our medical offices were closing down and our students that had rotations there, they weren't allowing students in anymore. So mm -hmm. there was that stress of having to secure new clinical sites. Um, so it's really hitting them from all angles. They've been incredible. My students have been an inspiration to me in their resilience and their professionalism and their dedication. And I've just tried to give back to that by making sure I'm supporting them and accommodating them in any way that we can in our programs. Yes, I, I agree. And I know you and I were talking the other day. I was leading an online class myself um, the other night. I teach uh, DNP students. And their faces came up on Zoom and just every one of their faces, they just were so tired. I mean, every one of them just were so tired. And I knew, I know the different areas that they work in as nurse practitioners. And so it's it's hard as a, 
as an educator, um, as an instructor, to see that you're they're so committed to education and to gaining knowledge and sticking with it, but you can see how exhausted they are. And they have all the factors that everyone else does. Family, kids going back to school or not going back to school, fa- family members being sick. They are experiencing um, their colleagues getting sick. They're experiencing people they know coming into the hospital and they're caring for them. And this is a, this is a, a virus that is relatively new to us all. And it's just so many mitigating factors um, that are compounding um, the signs and symptoms of burnout and the exhaustion that you described. And so how are you seeing this happening or what are you seeing in terms of nurse practitioners out practicing and ambulatory and acute and ED? What are you seeing in general there? Well, uh, we as nurse practitioners are definitely facing some of those same pressures. Um, In the early part of the pandemic, I was still working full ER shifts as a nurse practitioner myself. So I got to work a full shift many times in full PPE with the mask, with the N95, with the face shield, and just feeling just that pressure, the concern constantly, especially in the emergency department as you're dealing with undifferentiated patients coming through the door. So I stay in touch with my colleagues in the emergency department and they are are bearing up under that load. And then of course, in the primary care setting, it's the same thing where patients are coming in, you had to follow all these new stringent um, contact precautions and all these new airborne precautions for these patients that a lot of, um, you know, outpatient offices just weren't set up for. And then the switch to telehealth, which some Mm -hmm. were able to do it, some were, it was a bit new. So that was a completely new modality. Um, Losing patients, you know, as part of Mm -hmm. my psychiatric practice, we had a large number of older patients that we were providing neurofeedback services for. And I actually lost a few of my patients um, to COVID and they would go into the hospital and sadly they didn't come back out. So it, it's hit all of us as nurse practitioners in in many ways. And I think the nurse practitioner can kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes because mm-hmm. we're so scattered and we're not quite as visible sometimes as other professions, but the stress has been there as well. Yeah, significantly so. And so Ron, have you seen any good any any ways to address it anything that's been successful i know we want to talk a little bit more about um the telepsychiatry which i really think is is has been a huge asset and really has something there significant to help with this but in terms of just other things have you seen things that are working that aren't working in terms of addressing nurse practitioner burnout i mean our hospitals health systems Are individuals, are they doing things that can help to mitigate burnout? Well, April, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there in that it's a bit of my rant where dealing with burnout, dealing with stress, it's a two-prong approach because one thing that we tend to focus on is we focus on the individual level. And that's where you see all these resilience building exercises of of which I agree 100%. So Mm -hmm. healthy nutrition, physical exercise, meditation, a spiritual practice, if that's appropriate for the person, um, family, friends, and loved ones, all these support structures that help us be resilient and better deal with stress and actually thrive. Those are very, very important. There's things that I try to incorporate myself into my life. They're what I recommend for my colleagues and my patients and my clients. But we also have to look at the system level issues. And those Mm -hmm. of us that are 
you know, went through the DMP program. That's, that's what my DMP education was all about, was that systems level approach to healthcare. And that's where we really need to work. And different systems are doing various levels uh, that they can of supporting their staff and their providers. But if we don't make changes at the systems level to really support our workers, to support our frontline healthcare professionals, all of the individual resiliency in the world can only get you so far. But if you're constantly being thrust back into that system, it's it's only going to get you so far and you're still going to be facing those stresses. So I'd like to say I've seen progress. I know there's various healthcare systems that are doing their best to support their frontline healthcare providers. Um, but, you know, what do we really need? We need some time off. We need to we need some breathing room. We need a break. Right. And there's only so much you can do as we're in the midst of this healthcare crisis. Right. And permission to do that, because just like you said earlier, um, as nurses, we, we put ourselves on the back burner because we put our patients first and we will be right there. We'll be right there 13, 14, 15, 16 hours a day, sometimes without eating, without taking a restroom break, without drinking. And that really does wear on you. So it's the basics, certainly. It's the basics. It's hydrating and getting good nutrition and exercise. Sleep is huge. Absolutely. But it is, it's significantly um, more than that. And, and sometimes we have to be, we have to have those systems in place that say, no, you can't work more than three or four shifts in a row. Um, you must take time off, not can you come on back in? Can you come on in and work this weekend? Could you pick up some more night shifts? We need to be able to ha- have that system in place that says, this is for your well-being you can't work all of this. I mean, you and I know, I talked to so many nurses or nurse practitioners that have said, sure, I'll, I'll work four, five, six nights in a row. And you're saying, how can you do that? You're going to be physically exhausted. You're going to be emotionally exhausted. And they say, no, I, I'll, I'll do it. I can do it. And then sure enough, um, you're back talking to them, you know, six or seven nights later and they're in tears. Everything's falling apart. They're completely exhausted. And, and that's just too much. And then the pandemic on top of it. So I, I I know we've done a lot. There's been a lot to support those things, but we can do a lot more. And you and I have been talking a lot more about telepsychiatry and 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 really focusing on mental health, mental health, just like physical health, mental health, spiritual health. All of it is very important. And um, so tell us a little bit more about what you do in terms of telepsychiatry and this term, you know, digital phenotyping. What is that? Well, there's some really exciting things coming forward in the field of telehealth and telepsychiatry in particular that really leverages technology to improve the mental health and wellness of all of us. Now, there's some there's some news stories out right now, and there's a continuous stream of news stories about some of the harms that uh, technology can cause us and our technology usage and our social media. And these mm-hmm. are very, very real things. And, you know, concepts like digital phenotyping are taking some of that technology and trying to turn it to the cause of good, if you will. So digital phenotyping specifically is a concept where you take the sensors that you have in a technological device and we could take, uh, for example, the smartphone, just because almost everybody has one, especially in the industrialized world. And that smartphone that you carry around in your pocket is just 
contain chock full of sensors. It has accelerometers that know not only what direction you're moving, but when you start, when you stop, if you're moving quickly, if you're moving slowly, there's microphones, there's cameras, there's things that detect the light level uh, with geolocation. Your phone knows when you come in and out of your house. And mm -hmm. when you lay it all out like that, it sounds a little bit scary. And I'm all <laughs> 100%. I want everybody to be aware, first of all, what you're dealing with when you're dealing with smartphone technology and those kind of ubiquitous technologies that you do have mm -hmm. an always on sensor. But what you can do to leverage that is with 100% patient consent, knowing 100% ahead of time, consenting to and agreeing to and wanting the service, you can utilize those sensors on the phone to actually make some um, judgments about how they are doing in terms of their mental health. So there's specific sensor activity that can lead towards supporting a worsening of major depressive disorder or social anxiety disorder, just to name a couple. We're looking at the sound levels in the room, um, noticing their sleep. So are they going to bed? Are they getting up at a, at a regular time? How often mm -hmm. are they going out? How often are there other voices in their proximity indicating some social interaction? So there's a whole science behind it, Where, but it's very emerging. It's only been since 2015 that this has really started to take off. But you can utilize all these and you combine them with a competent uh, clinician. You know, this isn't all algorithmic. This mm -hmm. isn't automatic. And it isn't that your phone is giving you a diagnosis, but rather right. I as a clinician can look at a dashboard. And when I'm dealing with my client, I can say, hey, you know, I noticed, you know, some of this sensor activity that you had agreed to share. I noticed that you left the house quite a bit less this week. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me what's going on. And it might just be that, you know, I was staying home for whatever reason, um, or it could be that the mood has been down. So it's just an additional tool that we in mental health can use to help evaluate our patients. And the thing about being a psychiatric nurse practitioner and being both family and psychiatric, I know that on the family side, I have a whole suite of labs and MRIs and physical mm -hmm. exam findings that I can use to assess a patient. As a psychiatric provider, you have basically your eyes and ears, you have your interview and your observation of the patient to really determine what's going on and how you can best help them. And digital phenotyping allows you to use an extension of your eyes and ears to come to those, uh, come to those evaluations and really help people out. So it's a really exciting field. It does sound exciting. And so when you first describe it, I, I kind of think, oh, wow, somebody's watching. But then I think, wait, I on my own smartphone, I know that I can look at it and see how many steps I've taken in a day. I can see when I'm more active. I can it tells me, you know, when I slept last night, um, you know, the the um, the it changes based on the light. So those things are already sensing the different things, activities that we're doing throughout the day. And it's just fascinating that you as a, a healthcare provider can look at that and watch our patterns. And, yes. um, and, and, and many times it's your people are inputting like what they eat or if they're drinking or those types of things, you can watch those patterns as well. And so that's really, really interesting. And sometimes if you and I were just talking, I might not think to say that I might not say, you know, Roan, I, I probably slept two or three hours a night this past week. I might not say that. Right. But you can see that, um, you know, at, at, with my permission, of course, I think that's a key aspect here. You have to give consent. Of course. But absolutely. you can you can put that data together and look at look for patterns and then bring out those questions to get a little bit delve a little bit deeper into what's going on. 
Absolutely. And we as healthcare providers, we're very comfortable with the privacy and consent aspects of what we do. Because I had to say, mm-hmm. I'm a privacy guy. So when I first mm-hmm. was learning about this, my reaction was, oh, <laughs> what no, is this? no, mm-hmm. thank you. But then when I learned more, um, yeah, as long as you're doing it with patient consent and privacy and, and you're really protecting that data, um, it can just be another tool to help to help people be better and get better. And, you know, the very cutting edge of this, that's not entirely ready for prime time, but the cutting edge research on this, one of them is suicide prevention, mm-hmm, is being able mm-hmm. to leverage that sensor data to get a warning sign if people are getting close to committing suicide, which is really the ultimate fatal act of mental health. Um, that's, that's, that's mental health's equivalent of a myocardial infarction or a stroke. In mental right. health, what's going to take the life of the patient is going to be suicide. So if we have a predictive algorithm and something that can help us predict predict and intervene with suicidal behavior, um, that really could be the future of really helping a lot of people out. Right, right. So often we look back and we said, oh, we, as we put the pieces together, the signs were there. Right. But what you are talking about is a where you can real time see the signs and you can intervene. Fascinating. So we're talking about students and nurse practitioners and nurses, healthcare clinicians. How does this technology and burnout, how does this technology potentially offer a support, a a help, a a solution, if you will, to addressing this, this exhaustion in all aspects that we call burnout? Well, there's a whole world of app-driven and technology-driven mental health interventions coming online now. This this area is very hot. Um, you can see that the the amount of venture funding that's going into these companies is just huge. And once you get into mm-hmm. it, you can see that the digital therapy apps are going through the roof, and there's a whole variety of them. So it's it's really leveraging this ubiquitous technology, this mega supercomputer that most of us carry around in our pocket all day to provide um, connection with psychotherapists and psychiatric mm-hmm. prescribers. It's There's another concept called digital therapeutics, and this is the use of apps and what almost might be called games to engage patients and provide some therapeutic AI-driven therapy. Um, and this is all meant to go along with and support that interpersonal relation that you get from dealing with a psychotherapist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. That human touch is very, very important, but there's just a lot of ways that we can leverage technology. Um, I, I'm a Hildegard Peplau guy myself. I'm mm-hmm. that interpersonal mm-hmm. relations in nursing is really the foundation of my philosophy and my practice. So I never want to lose that, but it is just really exciting to be able to leverage these technologies that we have all around us to keep people safe and help people be better and to thrive and to lead long, happy, healthy lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, do you, um, I, I know you said telehealth and Using this technology, do you also have text? Do you also use text in your practice where you text, um, reach out via text or telephone? I have. I have. I've utilized um, that sort of instant messaging uh, mm-hmm. modality to stay in touch with patients, um, to stay in touch with other healthcare providers that are caring for my patients. Um when I was involved more in neurofeedback, we had neurofeedback technicians that sometimes would be directly with the patients. They could contact me, give me updates on the patient. I could contact the patient themselves. So yes, I think, again, you know, text is no 
complete substitution for that face-to-face mm-hmm. uh, interaction, but it's just another another tool in our armamentarium to really support caring for our patients. So yeah, absolutely. And that's so fascinating. Everything about this is absolutely fascinating. And then, then as you talk, I kind of think about myself and I think, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to get a message or a text or a call from my psych mental health nurse practitioner saying, hey, I noticed this. Are you okay? Let's talk. I think that would be the most welcome thing at the end of a long shift or a long week or after I had had some exhibited signs and symptoms of being very tired, very fatigued, um, to know that someone's following along. That's just so incredibly comforting and it's supportive. And it's my hope that systems, healthcare organizations, um, all different, large and small, uh, really take note of this technology um, to see that it, it really could be one key um, and effective way to help support our nurse practitioners today, especially in times like these. And so Ron, really very interested in you. Uh, it sounds like you just work all the time and are incredibly busy yourself. And as we're talking today, you don't seem exhausted in all of these different realms. You may be, but it doesn't show. And and so I wonder, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And do you do anything personally to mitigate burnout? Well, you know, I do. And I wish I had something um, exciting and super secret to tell you because I could probably sell it and make a lot of money off it. But I just do the same things that I tell my patients to do, or I try to. I don't ever want to hold myself up as a paragon. Um, I miss plenty of times. There's plenty of times I eat unhealthy foods or I don't exercise when I should. But I really do make a strong effort to, you know, regular physical exercise is the ultimate medicine. We're just seeing that there's never been a study that has not shown that a mix of aerobic and weight bearing exercise um, performed moderately on a regular basis just helps with so many things, including stress and burnout. You know, mm-hmm. I, I make an effort to eat healthy. I, I use my my phone apps to track, you know, my my calories and my healthy eating. So I try to leverage technology in that way. Um, you know, I have a wonderful, loving wife who, who we support each other. Um, we're both nurse practitioners, so we both kind of speak the same language and I just do all the same things. Yeah. All the same things that I encourage my, my patients to do. Um, and, and I gotta tell you, April, I know that the AANP presidency can't be a a simple task. (laughs) So until you get somebody texting you, just shoot me your number and I'll be happy to text you. Every once a week or so, make sure you're doing okay. See if you've had a rough and tiring day. Because I agree, we we all need that support, and we all we all need that that notification that somebody's looking out for us. That's great. Well, I might be texting <laughs> quite often, so that's great. Well, tell me, do you ever take time away? Do you ever take time away to do just t- you just go and take some time just to focus on you? You know, I do. And I must say, I, I'm well aware of my blessings and how fortunate I am. Um, you know, I'm not a full-time clinician. I do work clinically. My full-time job is as an academic. And in the academic world, we have built-in break time. Um, my leadership at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas are all about us taking that break time as a true break. Right. 
Yeah. So mm-hmm. we have separate prep week and a break week. And that break week between trimesters is really meant to be for ourselves. And it's been hard for me to get used to that because prior to academia, like I said, I was in a corporate job mm-hmm. and you just went 24 seven. You know, I had I had angry CEOs texting me at five in the morning and it pretty much went till eight or nine or later at night. So in academia, I really have had that opportunity to take some time for myself to make sure my students and my peers are taking time for themselves. And um, yeah, so I do try to live it. It's it's tough for me, but I'm really mm-hmm. making myself do it. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for for sh- spending some time with us today. I, I just love to hear more and more and more. And you've just given us a little tip of the iceberg of a very fascinating topic um, that I, I I would imagine most everyone wants to learn a little bit more about. Like me, I just want to hear more and more about it. So thank you for spending some time with us today, Ron. This has been fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I must say, this has just been a great honor. Um, I love being a nurse. I love being a nurse practitioner. AANP has just been, I've been a member since I was a student. And uh, just having that professional organization look out for us, I'm just very grateful for. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Roan. I truly believe that your insight today will help so many of our colleagues move forward in a more balanced and healthy way. To our listeners, please check out the podcast description on whichever platform you're listening on for links to resources from this episode. I also want to urge you to become part of your National Professional Association and add your voice to 119,000 of our NP colleagues nationwide. Along with giving you access to many member benefits, AANP membership supports advocacy efforts for nurse practitioners and our patients, fighting for critical issues like full and direct access to care, equity and payment, and changes to outdated laws and regulations. Please subscribe to this podcast and share with your colleagues. Check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind. Be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm